Welcome to First Presbyterian Church of Evanston. This Sunday sermon was given by Senior Pastor, Reverend Dr. Ray Hilton. If you'd like more information about First Presbyterian Church of Evanston, please visit firstpresevanston.org. Our scripture reading today is from the Apostle, Epistle of the Apostle Peter, chapter 1, verses 17 through 25. Please join me in a prayer for illumination. Guide us, O God, by our word and Holy Spirit, that in your light we may see light, in your truth find freedom, and in your will discover your peace. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 17. If you invoke as Father the one who judges all people impartially according to their deeds, live in reverent fear during the time of your exile. You know that you were ransomed for the feudal ways inherited by, from your ancestors, not with perishable things like silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like, in the, like that of a lamb without defect, defect or blemish. He was destined before the foundation of the world, but revealed at the end of your ages for your sake. Through him you have come to trust in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are set on God. Now that you have purified your souls by your obedience to truth, so that you have genuine mutual love, love one another deeply from the heart. You have been born anew, not of perishable but imperishable seed, through the living and enduring word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and its glory like the flower of grass, the grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. That, that word is the good news that was announced to you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, we're grateful to God for the reading of Holy Scripture and how the word of God has the power to shape us and mold our lives into the pattern of Jesus Christ. I do want to thank you for taking the time to worship with us today. And one of the words that I want you to notice, it's a word that you will find repeated a few times in Peter's letter. It's the word foreigner or exile. And I know the word foreigner or immigrant is a politically charged word in, in, in America today. But we want to reclaim its usage, its biblical usage, for our purposes this morning. Peter wrote this letter, as he says in verse 1, to the elect exiles or foreigners who were scattered throughout regions of northern and central Turkey, places like Pontus and Galatia and Cappadocia and Asia and Bithynia. And you might be saying to yourself, well, what's the big deal about that? Well, imagine if Peter lived in Washington, D.C. He wants to connect with followers of Jesus scattered as exiles and foreigners living in Florida and Hawaii and California, Texas, and maybe even Illinois. And these followers of Jesus, they've never met each other. They may not even know that the other exists, but they're all connected to Jesus. And they're all bound together by the same levels of hostility because of their faith. And so Peter reaches out to them to remind them how they can live and thrive as a minority community in a majority pagan society. And I think that, to me, is the essence of what the letter is all about. He calls these Jesus followers sojourners and exiles and strangers, and they're living their lives waiting for the day when Jesus Christ will be revealed. And some of you know what it feels like to leave your country of origin and live among people in another part of the world. 
deep in your heart you know that this is not this is not your country of origin and you you are a resident alien then you're learning a new language you're learning a new way of life you're eating new foods you're adapting to cultural values that are not yours or even similar similar to what you left back at home not even similar to what you left back at home so let me use myself as an example i am a jamaican living in america and i'm going to say a couple of statements here and i don't want anyone to think that i'm being anti-american but after all these years of living in America, I still think and feel more as a Jamaican than an American. That's my reality. And that brings a lot of interpersonal and communication problems because sometimes I'm saying and thinking something through the lens of a Jamaican and it's clearly clashing with what you're thinking and saying through your lens as an American. That's just the way it is. Jamaica is the land of my birth, where I've lived my teenage years, my, my childhood years, my teenage years, and my very early young adult years. Now, since living in America, we've made some amazingly good friends in this country, but there is still something about home that marks you and never, never leaves you. And I think this is Peter's message to the churches scattered throughout Asia Minor that through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, they were now wired for the kingdom of God, not for the Roman Empire. So notice, notice, he doesn't address them as through categories of race. He doesn't address them by their nationality or their gender or their political affiliation or their educational or vocational credentials. Notice how he addresses them as elect exiles living between two spaces on the one hand, they're part of the Roman Empire because that is where they live, but they're also being addressed and identified as members of the kingdom of God, God's elected people. And as all empires do, eventually these empires begin to impose pressure on you, the resident, to conform, to adopt the values and the practices of the culture. And Peter reminds them, yes, you are living in these scattered places, but do not get too comfortable and embrace their values. You're in the world, but you're not off the world. You're living in the Roman Empire, which he pejoratively calls Babylon, but you're not of the empire. And so today's reading concerns ethics. It concerns the building of culture and how Christians then can thrive in a culture that's not theirs. It's all about the need for a filter that enables the exile, the foreigner, to figure out the good from the bad, to discern what is God's and what is of Nero. Why? Because the Roman Empire has its own ethical values about money, about sex, about power. It has its own bias toward baby boys over baby girls about marriage, about humility, about death, about life, about who to worship. They have their own culture, their own set of values. And as you'll see as you read through First Peter, these values collide with the values of the kingdom of God. For example, first century Romans thought Christians were oddballs. They thought Christians didn't have a brain because of the choices that they made. And I, I read sections of an old second century letter that was written by a Christian to a man by the name of Diognetus. We assume he was a Roman official. And the letter is written to explain why Christians go by a different beat, a different drummer. 
The letter sheds light on Roman culture too. It, sh it says of Christians, this is what the letter says of Christians, we share our table with all, but we do not share our bed with all. In other words, I think what the letter is saying is that pagans are promiscuous with their body. They'll share their bed with anyone, but they're stingy with their pocketbook, with their money. But in the reverse, Christians are stingy with their body. Their bodies belong to Jesus, and they're promiscuous with their money. They give liberally. Why did Christians live this way? Well, I think it goes back to citizenship. Their kingdom identity takes precedence over their provincial or their national or their cultural identity. They worship God, not Nero. They worship Jesus Christ as Lord, not Caesar as Lord. And this is how Peter explains it. Look at this verse. He says to them, as obedient children. Obedient to whom? To the, to the empire? No. Obedient to God. As obedient children of God, do not be conformed to the passions or the desires that you had in your former ignorance. And then he says these amazing words. Be holy as he who called you is holy. Be holy in all your conduct. Why? You're aliens. You're exiles. You have a different set of values. You're children of God. You're followers of Jesus Christ, whom God raised from the dead. And that's the reason why we believe then on these post-resurrection Sundays that the resurrection of Jesus informs how Christians are to live in this new world, this new age that was inaugurated by the resurrection of Jesus. It changes everything. It's a game changer. So Peter gives very practical, hands-on encouragement for how to live as exiles in the Roman Empire and yet remain faithful to God's kingdom. And I believe his words can also help us 21st century citizens of God's kingdom living in America. His words can help us to determine how we then should live. And I think what Peter gives to us in the remaining section of our reading, he gives us three handles for how to live as exiles with what he calls reverent fear before God. And the first, the first handle is in verse 17, where in a roundabout way he says God is holy and God calls us to be holy. And, and, and this is what I think he's saying in verse 17, that if you invoke as Father the one who judges all people impartially according to their deeds, live in reverent fear during the time of your exile. And I can talk about this now, but you know, several years ago, in the dark of the early morning, Judith, our three children, and I were rushing to O'Hare International Airport to catch a flight. And yes, I was speeding on Gulf Road. I was dodging in and out, trying to get ahead, to get to the airport on time. I don't even think I was late. It's just something about going to the airport and you feel you just got to hustle. And out of nowhere, the flashing red and blue light of a police car was behind me. And I pulled over. My little jalopy would not outrun that police car. The policeman asked me where I was going, and I thought, wow, that's good. I, I, I think he's going to take pity on me when I tell him that I'm taking my family to the airport to catch a flight to Jamaica. Well, the police officer was not impressed. He lectured me on the need for safety on the roads, and then he gave me this hefty ticket. And when it was all over, you know what happened. We got to the airport. We missed our flight. You can imagine how dad felt that day. I felt this tall in front of my kids as we moped around the airport trying to secure the next flight. Well, guess what happened to me since then? I, I now drive with a certain amount of fear. I, I pay attention to my speed because 
I am afraid that my actions on the road could get me in trouble with the law. What does it mean then to live in reverent fear during the time of your exile? Well, I tell you that story not to characterize God as one who terrorizes us, and so the minute we step out of line, God writes us a ticket. No, that's not the point of my story. The point of my story, though, is about awareness, being aware of the implications of your actions, your choices, your words, your life, your attitude. It is a way of saying that your life, the totality of your life, matters to your Heavenly Father, and that a day is coming when God will impartially judge all people according to their deeds. Now, the minute I say that, I know that for some Chicagoans, the notion, or even Evanstonians, the notion that God sees and knows and examines and holds people accountable for their deeds, they would say, that is not the God that I want to worship. And I get that. I get that. Because we live in a culture that prefers a God who agrees with us and supports our choices. But friends, we don't get to write the script on God. This is not the God of Scripture. In fact, I don't know of too many families, too many parents, who simply allow their children to live any way they want to live. I'm sure there are parents like that out there, but I don't know of too many of them. I don't know of schools or places of employment or sports teams that have no boundaries, that students can just do whatever they want to do. You can just show up for work whenever you want to show up. You can just play the game any way you want to play the game. There are boundaries, and it is no different in the kingdom of God. And I think this is Peter's point, which leads us to the second handle that he mentions in verses 18 through 20, where he says that, and again, these are my words, my summary of what I think 18 through 20 says, that God is generous in mercy, and so we are called to show mercy. Notice what he says in verses 18 through 20. You know that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your ancestors. And they knew that. They were ransomed. Not, though, with perishable things like silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without defect or blemish. That is why I refer to this as God's God's generous mercy. We were redeemed with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without defect or blemish, Jesus was destined. Now, that's something you got to think about now. Jesus was destined before the foundation of the world. Destined for what? Destined to be the Lamb of God to take away our sins, but was revealed at the end of the ages for your sake. Through him, and this is so beautiful, through Jesus, we have come to trust in God. And there it is again who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are set on God. And it is out of that generosity of God, that that overabundance, that superabundance of God's mercy and forgiveness to redeem us through the precious blood of Jesus Christ, that we in turn then in this cultural milieu in which we find ourselves, that we live with the same sense of generosity before others. Here's a third handle in verse 22. And this again is my summary. God is love and we're called to genuine love as we live in the culture. Now notice what it says. Now that you have purified your souls, and that's, a, that's just a wonderful phrase. You've purified your souls by your obedience, obedience to the truth so that you have genuine mutual love 
love one another deeply from your heart. And I just want you to picture what that feels like to be in a culture where your soul is polluted with hate, where your mind is polluted with revenge and enmity and bitterness. And now that you have come into the knowledge of who God is and your soul has been purified from all of that, all of that, that enmity and hatred and racism and violence, now that you have come into the love of God through the truth of God's word, Peter says, love one another deeply from your hearts. You would be hard-pressed to find holiness and generous mercy and genuine love on the streets of the Roman Empire because that is the culture in which Christians live. And that culture was given to power and the celebration of position and the domination, the domination of the weak. But by imitating God, these exiles were shining light into the darkness. Now, listen, I don't want you to walk away thinking that this way of living is only for those who have Superman or Wonder Woman strength. I think that would be the worst message or the worst inference that you could pull from what I'm saying to you this morning. Living in reverent fear is not about our ability, friends. It is about God's power at working us to will and to do God's good pleasure. And so this is all about God's grace. It is God who supplies us with strength to live as people of his kingdom through the power of his word. And the reason why I say that is because of what it says in verse 23. Look at verse 23. You've been born anew. Where did you read that earlier? You read that earlier in verse 3. You've been born anew, not of perishable, but imperishable seed. And what is that seed? The living and enduring word of God. And I love the way he juxtaposes, he positions the word of God with the frailty of our humanity. He says, all flesh is like grass and all its glory like the power of, of the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower fails. But don't you love verse 25? But the word of the Lord endures forever. That word is the good news that was announced to you. That word is the good news that Peter is announcing to these scattered foreigners living all over the empire. And he wants them to know that it is the word of God that will empower them, that the Roman Empire is like a a, a, a grass that is a flower of grass that is withering and it's going to fail. But the word of God, when you live by the word of God, that will endure beyond the empire. And so the word of God then reveals the holiness of God. And it's the word of God that reveals the generous mercy of God and the cross and the resurrection. And it's the word of God that reveals God's, that God's nature is love. And as people who invoke God as Father, we are called to live a life of love. Now, let me just be very clear with you, my brothers and sisters. Being a member of a church, being born into a Christian family, knowing concepts about God will not be enough to give you the power to live this cultural life as members of the kingdom of God that God is calling us to. We'll never be able to do it by ourselves. We need the power of the resurrection. We need God's enduring word. We'll never be able to live in reverent fear before God in our culture without resurrection and enduring word. That's my message to you this morning. And if you don't know 
what it means to serve Christ, to follow Jesus, then that is what I'd love to pray with you about as we work our way through the conclusion of this worship service. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and God's people say, Amen.